0: Good morning, everybody. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, please do uh, keep it open next to you uh, as we look through it this morning. Uh, And as we begin, I want to ask you how you feel about names in general, Uh, as in, do you know what your own name means? Or if you've had the, the privilege of getting to name somebody else, how much thought did you give to the meaning of the name? Uh, so I, I texted my mom during the week, and I said, well, I asked, why did you name me Daniel? And she said, well, our favorite boy name was already taken <laughs> by my older brother. Uh, so I, I felt very unloved at that point. Uh, on receiving the name Daniel as a baby, uh, my granny thought, ah, oh, I must be named after Daniel O'Donnell. That's obviously a generational gap. Uh, my name means God is my judge. Really, I never really think about that. I don't think my parents really did either. And that's probably symptomatic of how we think about names in our culture. We have names, we like the sound of names, but the meaning is probably a little less significant. Uh, We maybe have more significance attached to a name when it comes to a nickname. Uh, So my little sister, uh, when she was one or two, uh, she was sitting in the car seat and she just went like this. And since that day she's been called Wobble. By so many of us. This little thing has haunted her for like 21 years. The culture uh, of the day when Jesus was born, and from history before that, gave a far higher significance to the meaning of names. So back in the book of Ruth, you have Naomi. But at one point, uh, she gets to be so sad and forlorn that she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara which meant bitter. And we have a lot of cases of God changing the name of people. So in Genesis, we have Abraham and Sarai, who God then names Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah, when she gives birth to Isaac, she calls him Isaac because Isaac means he laughs. And the story of his birth, her giving birth at 100 years old, Brought her so much laughter. This story that Jessica read for us this morning the angels come to announce two names for this baby that is being born. The first is verse 21 She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the second is verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In our time this morning we're going to be focusing on what do those names mean? Why are they so significant? As the angels come to announce who this baby is, why do they choose to call him Jesus and Emmanuel? But just before this passage, and if you have your Bible open, you'll see it, if you look up at the first half of of Matthew chapter 1, it's just a huge, long list of names. Now, this is Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, tracing his history all the way back to Abraham. In it, he has three groups of 14 generations. So from Abraham to David, David to the exile, the exile to Jesus. Uh, And it's a pretty boring uh, 18 verses. It just reads uh, something like this. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Isaiah, and so forth, and so forth. Until we get to verse 16, and there's a change. There is, if you like, a, a kind of missing name. Or the name and its significance is different to all the others. So we get Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So Matthew's telling us when we get to this generation, there's something very different to all the generations that have gone before. This baby who is being born is different. This baby is special. Uh, As Matthew writes this, uh, his audience, uh, more so than the other gospel writers, is a pretty Jewish audience, and they would have absolutely loved reading these lists like this. They would have loved being able to trace uh, their religious history back to Abraham and back to David's. They saw Abraham as the great father of all of them. Many of the people in their stories they looked back on in history as their great kings, their great heroes of the faith. And for many, they'd look at these people or this list of names and it would fill them with great hope. Not hope in some kind of idolatrous way where they make these people into God, but hope that God uses all kinds of people for his purposes. That God uses these people in mighty ways to do what he wants to do. And at the same time, as they are looking back at their history, they're also looking forward to a Messiah. A Messiah who had come from the line of David, so would fit into this genealogy. They didn't think uh, this Messiah would necessarily uh, come from God, but he would be anointed by God. And so they thought when the Messiah comes, the genealogy would read something like, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and Joseph the father of Jesus, or the Messiah, or whatever they would be called. And then the list would continue to go on. Sure, this Messiah would be special. He would be the one that would save them from the Romans. But he would also be just another name on the list with an earthly father and he'll have an earthly son and he'll die and he'll become a hero. And that's kind of about it. But Matthew's telling us there is something so special about this Jesus. And there's something different about his father. That's why it doesn't say Joseph was the father, but Mary bore him. What's different about this father uh, is revealed to us in verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with, the ch- with child from the Holy Spirit. This baby has Mary as mother and God as father. That list has human fathers, hu- hu- <laughs> human fathers fathering human children. And they father another human and father another human. But with this baby, God has fathered God. This baby is God's son, fully God and fully man. And that is the big difference between this name, Jesus, and the names of all the others. All those other people we read in the list They would have looked around them at the stars at creation. And they would have thought, wow, isn't it amazing the God who must have made all of this? But with this baby, we are and they are looking at the one who did make all of this. When those people heard from God, they heard God speak to them or speak through the prophets to them. But this baby Jesus, when he grew up, every word he spoke was God speaking to them. These people, they all tried and failed to follow the law of Jesus, the law of God. But Jesus, this baby, came and fulfilled the whole law. Maybe as you look at this long list of names... It reminds you uh, of Christmas lists that you have at the moment. Uh, For many, uh, Christmas is is a joyous time, but it's also a really, really busy time. And you can count so many things that between now and Christmas Day, you have to get done. Presents have to get bought. Food has to get bought and cooked. uh, Kids have to be entertained in numerous ways. uh, In-laws have to be hung out with. Board games have to be played. Netflix movies have to be watched. And the list is so long. And then we might even, if we're feeling pretty good, we might, uh, onto our list, put worship in Jesus as well. We might think that rounds off our Christmas list nicely. That we do all those things and we worship Jesus too, and that's a nice Christmas. But if we take this claim of Matthew seriously, that this Jesus is God. Worshipping Jesus can't fit nicely onto a list of all the other Christmas things we have to do. Because Christmas becomes all about worshipping this Jesus. Not at the expense of not doing any other Christmas things. There's nothing wrong with those. I've been so excited for such a long time for the Princess Switch 3 to come out on Netflix, which it did a couple weeks ago. But those things ought never to take the place of Jesus. We ought never to forget that that we are having this Christmas because we have Jesus, the one who would come to save his people from our sins. Because we are celebrating Jesus who is God with us. And so this special baby that is given, that first name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Uh, This verse 21, I'll read it again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As a statement, that's a really Christian statement that we say and hear quite a lot. And like so many statements like that, we tend to kind of lose the awe and magic of them the more they get repeated. But if we slow down and consider the magnitude of what this statement says, our hope that we will be filled with awe and wonder at just how good God is. So the last part, their sins. Their sins are the reason that Jesus came. Our sins being the reason that Jesus came. And so you'd think, If our sins have caused God to come, surely that means when God arrives, we're in big trouble. Uh, Imagine uh, way back when you were living in a city with a king, and you'd spent your whole life basically undermining the whole city. Uh, When farmers uh, grow food, you you burn it down. Uh, You spend uh, your time uh, bad-mouthing the king. You spend your time wishing for enemies to come and conquer. Your whole life, you've basically spent living completely opposed to the king of that city. And then imagine one morning, he turns up on your doorstep. Your thoughts would be, oh, I'm done for now. He's come, and here's, here's my punishment coming, and, and to be honest, I really deserve it. If Jesus has come because of our sins then we'd think he's come to punish. Because when we stop and assess our sins, what we're we're seeing is that that we've lived a whole life completely rejecting him. That from from before we were born, he has richly blessed us. That he has given us life and breath and sun and rain and a family and a home. That he has shown us so much of him and yet so often what we'd far rather do than worship him is to make ourselves Lord and King. And so we think just logically, it, surely it is right that this God that we have rejected so much when he appears, he would come to condemn. But John three seventeen writes this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And why is found in the verse before that? Because God loved the world. When Jesus arrived, he did not come to condemn us, though we deserved it, but he came to save us. And to make us the middle part of that statement in verse 21. To make us his people. Not to be people who are identified mostly by their sin, but identified by their connection with Jesus. So as a church, and as many individuals in the church, we support the work of IJM. And they do really fantastic work across the world seeking to free people from slavery. And there's a, a, a kind of twofold process to that. One angle is that they look to free the slaves from the slavery they're in, while at the same time looking to pursue justice with the slaveholders. And so in pursuing that justice with the slaveholders, what they are doing is advocating with lawyers, uh, with governments for laws that are already there or ought to be there, To make sure that they are punished for what they have done. And in freeing people, they're saying, you are no longer a slave, you are free. That is your identity. Where most people and the people who are in charge of them would look at them and say, slave. Now they get the great news of being free. As Christ comes to save he changes our identity from being sinner slave to sin to being one of his people to being people in Christ that our old identity is completely wiped away and that he makes us his And sin being something that we do and we willfully do and we enjoy doing, but also being a power that we are under. As Christ comes to free us, he also destroys that power of sin. Jesus Christ, in coming to save his people, saves them by smashing sin. Sin, the most powerful thing that sin can do, the most powerful weapon it has, is death. Sin leads to a breakdown in relationship. It robs joy from us. And it culminates in death. But this Jesus, God who came into the world, took on the full force of that death that on the cross that punishment for sin is taken, that that biggest weapon that sin can throw at us is taken by him and completely destroyed because just three days later he rose again. That greatest weapon of death is defeated by the living Jesus. That master that enslaves us sin is defeated. And Jesus Christ makes us his people, his children. That second name is the one in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us was not a new idea that came just when Jesus arrived on the earth. But God with us is God's original plan for his relationship with us. Back in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve, but sin, that eating of the fruit, that making themself into king, tore that relationship apart. And the result is a complete reversal of God with us, where before that was a joyous and wonderful thing, the presence of God became a terrifying and destructive thing. So when Moses meets God up the mountain, Moses can't even look at God's face for fear of what would happen to him. Priests could hardly ever enter the holy of holies where God's presence was, lest they be killed. A perfectly holy God, the presence of him and the presence of humans did not go together. The presence of a holy God's meant that us sinful humans could get nowhere near. And this quote where, uh, where Emmanuel, God with us, is promised uh, comes back uh, from Isaiah 7. And it's not one of those kind of cute prophetic passages we get in Isaiah. We love to read about this uh, son who is given. Uh, or we look at the cross and we think, uh, by his stripes we are healed. This passage in Isaiah 7 is a messy passage. There's a king Ahaz. Uh, He is under threat. There is war going on. And Isaiah calls Ahaz to trust in the Lord and to ask the Lord for a sign. And then in verse 14 of Isaiah 7, Isaiah says that the Lord will send a sign anyway. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now Ahaz, uh, as a king, uh, was one of the, the most wicked kings that we find. Uh, listen to how he's described. This is in, from Second Kings 16. Isaiah was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. In the middle of that was a description of Ahaz burning his own son as an offering to other gods. And it is to him, somebody would look at and say, there's no way Ahaz could be in the presence of God, but it is to him that the promise of Emmanuel comes. And that tells us two really hopeful things. The first is that no matter what you have done, Emmanuel comes to you. And the second is that God's plans, his sovereign plans to reconcile people to himself are not going to be thwarted by anyone or anything. Uh, Being king, Ahaz was the most uh, powerful man in his nation and yet His deliberate rejection of God could not stop God doing what God wanted to do, in sending himself to be with his people. God basically says that that I love my people and I'm going to be with them. That though they may reject me, though nations may conquer you, nothing and no one will stop you from being my people. And as we have that, that quote from Isaiah in Matthew here, that promise given hundreds of years before has materialized. He has come. There is no need to wait anymore for the Messiah to come. He is here. He comes to a people desperately waiting for God's. And this morning, as we look back on this Emmanuel coming, I want to make sure we know that Emmanuel has come to you too. Whatever circumstances, whatever mess or sin that is going on, in the midst of all of that, Jesus enters your world to be with us. So perhaps... Uh, this morning, you'd call yourself somebody who is curious or searching for God. Uh, or perhaps even it's not even that you can identify it's God that you're searching for, but you feel like you are still searching for something. Searching to be happy, or searching for meaning, or, or searching for security, or, or searching for answering some of those questions like we saw in the Alpha video. And in that searching... Uh, You go far and wide to try and find all the best answers from all the best people. The invitation of Christmas, of Emmanuel, is that you can call off the search. In Jesus, you have found the one that you are looking for. Because Jesus is the one who has come and searched for you. That he has made the journey. He has stepped down from the majesty of heaven to the mess of a stable to be God with us. That he came and saw you out to tell you that you are loved. And that you can be his beloved child. Uh, Maybe that's not you. And maybe you are just painfully aware of the mess of life that you find yourself in. Perhaps uh, you are crippled by loneliness. That um, when you get back from work uh, in the evening, so often you end up breaking down in tears. Or perhaps uh, news that we hear of new variants and everything just leads to to fear and a a kind of worry that that this sort of thing will be endless. Perhaps you feel uh, when you walk into church even that everybody else in this room seems to have it all together and their lives are pretty good. And yeah, I, I I come here and and I just don't feel like that. Or perhaps you, you look back and we think of this sometimes at the end of the year. Where are we now compared to where we were before? Those New Year's resolutions that we made, how did we measure up to those? And perhaps as you ponder those, you're desperately sad to to feel like a failure. To feel that you haven't measured up to your standards or anybody else's standards. It is that you, the real you, that Jesus has come to. He doesn't love the pretense that we put on when we might come to church and put on a brave face and say everything is fine, or when we'd kid ourselves that really everything's going all right. Jesus loves the real you, the struggling you, and he came all the way from heaven to be with you. Emmanuel means God has come all the way to us. If you were to imagine a baby on the floor and a parent standing over it, we'd never expect the baby to reach up and hold on to their parents. The baby has absolutely no way of doing that. But because the parent loves the baby, the parent reaches down and picks up that baby. And holds it and cherishes it. We've got to stop kidding ourselves that we are able to reach up to God. That if we just tick enough boxes and do all the Christian things right, that that we'll be accepted because we've earned it. Core to who we are, core to the message of Christmas is to accept that the loving arms of Jesus come to wrap us up and to pick us up and to be with him. In a few moments, as Martin mentioned, we're going to share communion together. And part of the communion meal is following the instruction given in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is a really beautiful reminder of these two names of Jesus, the one who had come to save and God with us. Because it is that death we remember in communion that is Jesus' means of saving us. Where he gave up his body, where his blood was spilt for us to save us. And so as we eat and drink together, We are proclaiming, as the angel did to Joseph, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And for Christians, uh, those who've accepted this gift of Jesus coming to us, we also look forward to him coming again. That's why Paul tells us we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look back at the arrival of this baby, and we look forward to the return of this King Jesus. We remember his first coming, his death for us, and we look forward to him coming once again. Where now by faith we know and trust by faith that Jesus is God with us. But there is coming a day... And we will eat and drink in anticipation of this. That we will see him face to face. That there will be no more feeling of abandonment. No more feeling of not being good enough. But our Savior will stand there in front of us. We will see him face to face. And with countless brothers and sisters we are going to worship him forever. Hear how John describes it in Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your son. That out of love he would come to save his people from their sins. Lord, would we accept that gift of Jesus? Would we accept the freedom that he gives? That he won in his death and resurrection? And would worshipping you be the priority over this Christmas season? Would the busyness and excitement not distract us from the amazing reality that Jesus is God with us? And that there will come another day where we will dwell with you forever face to face. Worshipping you for you are so good. Amen.